We don't even mean to do it, but we still do it. We, it just comes natural for, for most of us, and, and we just do it even when we don't want to, and it's judging a book by its cover. Sometimes you just look at somebody and you begin to just kind of, in your mind, kind of filter where you think they are or what's going on in their life. So I'm leaving for sabbatical tomorrow. Uh, it's been 30 years in ministry, but I've been pastoring for 25 years as lead pastor. So 25 years ago, Julie and I were having our first discussions uh, with a pastor search team about coming to be a lead pastor. And uh, it was a church, we were lived in Memphis at the time, and this was a church outside of the Memphis area in Olive Branch, Mississippi. And as we drove down to the church, we got there a little bit early. I had on a suit and tie. She had on a dress. We were, we were dressed up. And we pulled in, and there was a guy in the front, and he was weeding the flower bed. He had on a straw hat and a white undershirt and a pair of overalls with a pair of dirty old boots. And when we pulled up, you know, my immediate thought was, well, that's nice. They have either a volunteer or the custodian janitor person is, is weeding the flower beds to make sure everything looks good for Sunday. And so we pulled into the parking lot and we got out of the car and just said, hi, we're here, you know, to meet the pastor search team. And he put out his hand, said, my name's Bill, and he was the chairman of the pastor search team. It was quite surprising that he would come to our first meeting in a pair of bib overalls with a white undershirt and a straw hat. It, it was just one of those things that it didn't fit into to my grid nor my experience. And you're already kind of nervous when you're going to meet with a team that first time and, and learn a little bit more about the church and they're going to learn more about you. But to pull in and think, man, this guy has gone from now the dude who was weeding out in the garden, uh, the flower garden, to being the chairman of the committee, it just looks very different. When we look at the Apostle Paul and we think about the Apostle Paul, sometimes we can think things that are very different. We can think of this guy being a Superman missionary, the guy who has it all together, who, who is not afraid to stand up at any time, who's willing to press on, who kind of is head and shoulders above everyone else in the, the Christian world that we would think of at that time. And yet, if that's your picture of Paul, we find that Paul around him had a strong group of friends, supporters, fellow ministers that were doing the work alongside of him. He was no lone ranger. And from Colossians chapter 4, verse number 7 through the end, we find Paul greeting these fellow workers that are laboring for the Lord. I want us to think this morning about those, but a couple in particular. So take your Bibles this morning and turn to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to pick up reading today in verse number 16. We're going to read verses 16 and 17, but keep your Bible open. We're going to fly through a few of these names rather quickly, but some of them we're going to spend a little bit more time on. Colossians chapter 4, verse number 16. He says this, these are the closing words. Now, when this epistle is read among you, 
See that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. If there was an epistle from Laodicea, we do not have it. Or some believe that maybe the book of Ephesians went to Laodicea and now has swung back around, and he's making sure that that's read. Not a lot of of substantial uh, proof on that, but there may be quite possibly a missing letter that he wrote to the church specifically at Laodicea. Verse number 17, And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. And then Paul says, this salutation is done by my hand. With that, let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the truth of your word. And I pray that, uh, that you would just speak to us today. And that as we open your scripture, we pray for your spirit to give us illumination. And we pray for your spirit to, to drive home the application and the truth that is here. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Paul has written the book of Colossians to this church that was built out in the Lycus Valley. Epaphras was probably the one who started it. We looked at Epaphras' life last week. Epaphras started this church probably after hearing the gospel in Ephesus. He took it a hundred miles to the east and he planted three churches, one in Colossae, one in Laodicea, and one in Hierapolis. And now Paul is coming to the conclusion of this letter that was supposed to go to all three of these churches, but specifically to the church at Colossae, and Paul is winding it down. As as we think about Paul, we look back and we recognize that Paul thanked God for the work that was going on in Colossae, and he prayed over them, and he drove home doctrinal truth in those opening two chapters. He wanted those believers in Colossae to understand that Jesus is the God-man. He is the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, that he is our one and only reconciler between God and man. That in Jesus, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. It was a sermon, it was a, a, a letter, like a sermon filled with great doctrinal truth. And then he turns the corner in chapter three and he drives home the application and says, now that you know this about Jesus, now that you understand the truth of who Jesus is and why he came, now this is how you're supposed to live. And as he concludes the book with this greeting, Paul shows us again that that he is not just a lone ranger in ministry, that there are lots of ministry partners around him. But I think that we can drive home three applications right into our life as we see what Paul writes to this church. Three things. As as uh, I'm going to, to, to go off for a few weeks and have some time just alone with the Lord, I, I'm thinking, you know, these are the, the things that I need to, to remember in my life and I need to hold, and these are the things that you do as well. So notice what Paul says to Archippus, or to, to the church at Colossae, and then to Archippus in verses 16 and 17. Notice with me in verse 16. Now, when this epistle is read among you. I would say if we're going to fulfill our ministry, run and do what God wants us to do, we have to stay in the scripture. 
He gives the picture that, that I want you to, to read this epistle and not just gloss over it. This is not your speed reading course, but I want you to take this epistle and I want it to be shared among the church. It shows us, first off, the corporate need for the word of God, the corporate need for the scripture. There is a need that as the church is gathered together, that the word is opened and that the truth is spoken despite what anyone thinks or says about it. This morning, there will be hundreds of millions of believers gathered throughout the whole wide world, and they will come into a church. But I wonder, how many will hear the truth of God's word? See, preaching is more than just entertaining and doing stand-up. Preaching is more than just just sharing a bunch of facts that sometimes go over people's head. The truth is, is that as he says to read this epistle, he's saying there is a need for this church. And I will tell you, just like in Colossae in the first century, as we battle the immorality of society, the idolatry of society, the paganism and polytheism of the world in which we live, there is a need that we stand on God's word, and that we open the truth of the scripture, that we as believers say, you know what? We're, we're, not, we're not interested primarily in what the culture says, or even what the church culture may espouse. It is what God says that really matters. There is a corporate need for God's word to be shared. But not only is there a corporate need, but there's a personal need. There is a personal need for the scripture. Do do you realize what you have in your hand? Do do you realize the overwhelming truth that is presented in this book? In 1961, the famed coach of the Green Bay Packers, Vince Lombardi, stood at his spring-summer training after his team had just lost the Super Bowl, okay? These guys knew football. But he stood as he walked in on that first day of spring training, and he held up a football and said, gentlemen, this is a football. Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, this is God's word. It is not just a beautiful piece that can sit on on a, a table in your living room. This is the transforming power of God expressed to us as God reveals who he is and reveals the person of his son and reveals the way of salvation. Think about this word just for a minute. How do we come to the knowledge of salvation? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.15, as he writes to Timothy, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. How did Timothy come to know Jesus? Through the scripture. What about our life? What about in your life? Who was it? Was it someone at vacation Bible school or Sunday school? Was it someone at a student camp? Who was it that used the word of God to show you the truth of salvation and the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of our need as sinners? What about faith? Do you need more faith in your life? What's the source of faith? 
Romans 10, 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing the word of God. Do you feel like you struggle in the area of faith? Take the book. This is God's word. Take it. There's something about when we open our heart and our life and our mind to the truth of who God is and how God has acted in the past that it gives us faith to face our tomorrows. What about what is really truth anyway? I mean, culture wants to define truth, and truth can be one thing in one generation and another thing in another generation. But Jesus, as he's praying the high priestly prayer in John 17, 17, he prays to God, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. This is truth. When when we open God's word, we are, are exposed to God's truth. Do you need to grow in your Christian life? Do, do you need to be on a, on a course to grow? Well, we do that corporately, but we do that personally. We only spend just a few hours in church together. So we need to take this word. And as newborn babes, Peter would write in 1 Peter 2, 2. As newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. How do I grow in my faith? It's, it's not, it's, it's not there's some magical formula that I can, I can throw my Bible in the microwave and pop it out and say, man, now it's all heated up and all I got to do is take it for 30 seconds and I'm, I'm done. The truth is, 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 Paul has already written to the book, uh, to the church at Colossae in Colossians, Colossians 3.16. He says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let this book dwell in your life. Let this book stir up your heart. Let this book be in your mind. Let it dwell and let it dwell in your heart. Over the next few weeks, what kind of house for you are you for, for the Lord's word to dwell in? Will you feel that knock of the spirit as he says, hey, it's the Lord Jesus with the word. And you say, too busy. Too many things going on. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. As we see, God's word is what sustains us and what transforms us. There is this personal need that we have for the word. Stay in the scripture. Secondly, I think that Paul, as he writes this letter from verses 7 through 16, he gives this challenge, I think, to the church at Colossae and to all of us who are working for the kingdom. And that's this, work together in ministry. Work together in ministry. You know, Paul, as great of a missionary as he was, Paul could be at one place at one time. He was not omnipresent. Paul, Paul could be at one place at one time. And most of the time, it seemed like he was in jail. So when we look at Paul, who is in prison, even as he writes this book to the church at Colossae, he is in prison. What does he do and what does he drive home? Well, notice with me back all the way into verse number seven. We're going to go through this list pretty quickly because I, I, I want to focus on a couple of them. But, but I want us to think about these folks that are working together with Paul in ministry and be reminded he's not a lone ranger. Notice verse number seven. Tychicus, 
Articacus, a beloved brother and faithful minister. There, he, he mentions uh, Tychicus. He's, he's right there. He is, he is beloved and faithful in verse number seven. Notice down with me in verse number nine, Onesimus, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother. Go back and read the book of Philemon to learn a little bit more about Onesimus. Again, faithful and beloved. Notice down in verse number 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. With Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God. There he mentions Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice, and he calls them fellow workers. These are the guys that are laboring alongside of me. These these are the guys that, that have rolled up their sleeves with me in ministry. Paul is like, look, I, I, I can't do all the ministry. There's too much. We work together. Then notice in, in verse number 12, we looked at this guy last week, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ. He's called a, a servant. He is a prayer warrior laboring fervently for you in prayers. He's, he's a prayer warrior. And he is a, a witness, verse 13, for I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you. Then notice in verse number 14, Luke, the beloved physician. Luke had gone along Paul with, along with him on his missionary journeys. Luke was there. He wrote the book of Acts, and, and he could tell the book of Acts a, a good bit of that from a firsthand account because he was there right alongside Paul. And what a joy for Paul as not knowing what's going on, but to have not just a doctor, in the house, but have a beloved physician who accompanied him along the way. And then notice in verse number 15, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea in Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Here we see a church host. They didn't have buildings. They didn't build church buildings. So they had church in the house. And here he recognizes this guy is the church host. He's the one who makes sure that everything's cleaned and tidied and, and everybody has a place to sit and, and maybe he's got, you know, his own little personal coffee ministry and maybe he brings donuts and all that kind of fun stuff. I, I don't know. But the picture is, is he is the host of a church right there in his house. You know what you find with each of these? From the doctor to the host, we find that each one of them were gifted by God, working somehow in ministry to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And it doesn't make any difference who you are or what your spiritual gifts are. God wants you to be, be working somewhere and to be investing in the kingdom. He, he wants you and has equipped you. At that moment of salvation, it tells us that, that the, we have a manifestation of the Spirit, a spiritual gift that comes into our life. And so if it be a speaking gift like prophecy or teaching, then teach. If it be a, a gift of administration or hospitality or helps or mercy, serve. That's the picture. Paul is saying, look, I greet all of you because this is a together outfit. You know what I find the greatest about all of this? 
is Paul mentions a whole bunch of names and a whole bunch of other folks in, in ministry, and you don't even get one tinge of jealousy or envy. You don't get one tinge of competition. Oftentimes, it's, it's we look around and we think, well, this guy, he must be a lot greater than this guy because of, of, of how God is using him. And yet, there will come a day when the Lord will ultimately be the one who says, this is the guy that used the equipping and through the Spirit did exactly what I wanted him to do. And he may be someone that we have never heard of serving out in a place that we don't even know where it is. And God speaks to him, well done. How about you? Maybe God calls you to be a Luke Or maybe he calls you to be a Tychicus, a beloved worker. God's speaking to you. You got to do something. So we got to stay in the word. But we got to work together in ministry. Thirdly, as we think about this, slide down with me. And there's a couple of names that I purposefully left out. And that third challenge is this. You need to finish well. Notice with me in verse number 14, we looked at the beginning of this verse, but we didn't look at the end. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Demas, one of the two names I didn't mention. We get the picture that he's mentioned alongside of Luke. He's also mentioned in the book of Philemon. That Demas is one and we see his life and he is laboring for the Lord. That he is going at it in service and in ministry. That Demas has rolled up his sleeves and said, look, I want to be involved in this ministry as well. So though this first picture is, and this word here is Demas, the, 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 the picture of, of service we see Demas really is the story and the picture of a tragic loss. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Demas is the picture of a tragic loss because though we see him laboring for the Lord here in the book of Colossians, we're in Colossians. The next book to your right is the book of Thessalonians, and then the next book is the book of First and Second Timothy. So take your Bibles and turn just a little bit to the right and notice with me in 2 Timothy chapter 4. The book of 2 Timothy was written about five years after Paul wrote the book of Colossians. Notice with me in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 9. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world, and he has departed for Thessalonica. We get this picture that Demas is the one who's mentioned in Philemon, and he's mentioned in the book of Colossians, and he is going at it for the Lord, and he is laboring in ministry. And you can see just that sense of spark in his eye and excitement in his heart as he is accompanying Paul and a fellow worker alongside Paul. And yet we find five years later, Paul is writing to Timothy and says, Timothy, come quickly. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present 
world is left for Thessalonica. So the picture of laboring for the Lord concludes with Demas leaving for the world. Having loved this present world. Paul actually, I think, does kind of a a play on words in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He talks in verse number 8 about those who are looking forward to experiencing and, and receiving the crown of righteousness. And he says that that is available to all those who love the Lord Jesus appearing. He says, man, there's a crown of righteousness awaiting those, those of you who are, are living a righteous life. The crown of righteousness is waiting for those who love his appearing. Who is it that love the, the appearing of Christ? Who's ready for Jesus to come? Those that are active in ministry, those that are walking with the Lord. Who's ready for the test? Those kids who have studied. Those that are diligent. And he says, hey, they love Christ appearing. And then he turns around and says, come quickly. Demas has left me having loved this present world. He loved the world. I, I don't know what this, this really means for Demas's life. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives the parable of the sower and the seeds. And he talks about the seed that falls on a path that, that never makes any inroad. But then his second and third soil is, is that of one that falls among stony ground. And it's a thin layer, but it immediately shoots up. This plant begins and it starts off and it looks so good, but it doesn't last long because it doesn't have a root system and it bears no fruit. Then Jesus tells about the thorny soil, the seed that's planted among thorns and it shoots up and yet then the cares of this world begin to choke it out. Was Demas ever a believer? Did he ever come to know Jesus? We find him working, mentioned in two of Paul's letters as a laborer in the field. And yet he says he's left having loved this present world. He loved the wrong world. John tells us, do not love the world nor the things that are in the world. For the things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, they're not of God but are of the world. We're told not to love the world. Or maybe Demas was a believer. But life was uncomfortable as a missionary. He went through some challenges. He heard some people talking about Paul. And there were some rumors going around the church at Colossae and and the church at Laodicea and the church at Hierapolis. And so, so Demas just thought, you know what? I've, I've just really had enough. I, I've had enough. I've, I've been hurt enough. I've been uncomfortable enough serving the Lord. I'm out of here. When I was a child, there was a man in our church. I was probably in fourth or fifth grade. And I don't know what happened. And, and as a fourth or fifth grader, I shouldn't have known what happened. But all I know was this guy sat in the same pew just across the other aisle from from where our family sat every Sunday since I could remember until about the fourth or fifth grade, and then he never came back. It wasn't that he was going to a different church. It was that he quit. 
The challenge is finishing well. Now we see that with the picture of Archippus. Notice with me back in Colossians chapter 4. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. There's the picture of tremendous potential. Archippus, he says, take heed to that ministry. Keep watch, keep guard, keep pressing. Don't quit. Fulfill that ministry. That's that picture. Fulfill it, carry it out. Don't quit. Now notice, he had a ministry assignment. Verse number 17 says, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord. He had an assignment from the Lord. And Paul says, don't quit. Don't stop. You keep going. How does the story end with Archippus and Demas? I don't know. But this is what I do know. If you don't finish well, you will lose the opportunity that you have right now to make a difference for the kingdom. This is it. This is, this is our opportunity in life. As the old poet said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And then we think of a difference in the names. Proverbs 22.1 tells us that a good name is better than great riches. And when we think of Demas, when I read his name in Colossians 4 or the book of Philemon, my mind goes to 2 Timothy chapter 4. For Demas has left me having loved this present world. But let's just stop for a moment and pause. Who was the one who ran the race? perfectly to completion. Why can we celebrate the Lord's Supper today? Because of the person of Jesus who lived a perfect life and he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our son, for our sin. And in in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number two, it tells us that, that we as believers, we are looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has now sat down at the right hand of God. Our example primarily is not even Paul, as great of a missionary he was. Our example is not Archippus. Our example is Jesus And Jesus is the reason that we come today and we can celebrate salvation because he ran the race and he is not only the author, but he is the finisher. And I don't know when your race started, maybe in your childhood at VBS, maybe in your youth years at camp, but I do want to challenge you with this. Stay in the scripture. Work together in ministry. 
and finish well. That's what Jesus did. And that's what he calls us to do. And that's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper.